Welcome to a New Testament journey. We'll have our Bible reading followed by our devotional. Chapter 2 Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favouritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognised that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul seems to betray a lack of regard for the other apostles. He roasts Peter in public like a head teacher with a naughty kid, describes the apostles as though who seemed to be important, and he says they added nothing to his message. He probably refused to wear deodorant when they invited him over for tea. You know, just to make a point. 
It was a slightly awkward truth for me that Paul seemed so competitive with the other apostles, but now I see it differently. In this chapter, Paul is continuing the argument that he began in chapter one, that his gospel is not something created by people, but revealed by the one God to rescue us through Jesus. To really stress that point, he has to show that even the most senior preachers are still only witnesses to a revelation that they neither crafted nor are at liberty to change. The apostles are simply the messengers of the master. They simply talk about something that was done to them. Understanding this is hugely important if we're going to grow in our faith. Very many Christians live as if the gospel is a hyped message to tell them how to live better lives. They find the preacher with the best sneakers and the worship band with the hippest haircuts and they simply suck up the succulence that slips from their lips. But the outworking of Paul's understanding of the gospel is the gospel isn't something smart people use to get you to live a certain way. Instead, the gospel is news. It's an announcement that God has come close and he is determined to rewrite your life. Paul puts it like this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. God has loved you and given himself up for you. God has caused you to hear his message. Now he bids you not to rewrite his message to suit you, but instead to let him rewrite everything you know. Let God mentor you into living in a totally new way, just like Jesus did. Why? Not because a preacher can put it well, not because it feels good when you worship, but because God himself, the most wise God who crafted you and who cares for you, loves you and gave himself up for you. He is asking you to do that today. Would you set aside that grace and follow what the crowd is doing? Or will you gain the beauty of being owned and filled in every way by the God of all grace? Here is a question for reflection. Why don't you take some time tracing how the hand of God has steered you to himself throughout your life? We pray God's word bears fruit in your life. For all the information about the New Testament journey, head to www.anewtestamentjourney.net.